Whoop, whoop, whoop. So many exciting things to tell you. I'm going to keep it short and simple. Number one, my book is now free, a digital version of my book, Building Simple Habits to a Healthy Me. You can just sign up and get it for free. Number two, come and say hello on Instagram. I'm having fun on Instagram doing exciting reels. Number three, I have four amazing packages for my Positively Healthy program called Magical May exciting exciting if you want to find out more book a call and let's chat and lastly remember radiate and renew four simple habits simple but mighty habits is starting may the 15th so come and sign up for that I had a miracle cure that would guarantee you and your family living to a ripe old age whilst feeling vigorous, fit and fabulous. Would you be interested? Well, I do. It's called Healthy Living. Hello and welcome to Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Orlina Kerrick. Healthy Living for Families Made Easy. Hello and welcome to Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Orlina Kerrick. I hope that you are feeling amazing today. Today we have a really inspiring and interesting guest, Dr. Lucy Burns, who's going to tell us all about her sugar addiction and how she managed to conquer her sugar addiction. Now, just a quick note before we get started. Last week was the Healthy You, Healthy Family Habit Challenge, and it was absolutely amazing. We had just such an amazing time in the Facebook group. There were also um, recordings that weren't in the Facebook group. Now, those videos are still up and it's all about you taking action and how you can create your healthy life and to make it easy and do it all without thinking. So if you want to catch up and you haven't signed up, you can still do so. You can still watch all the videos. They will be up until Friday. And on Friday, I am going to take them down. So let's dive in and chat to Dr. Lucy Burns. Hello, Lucy. It's fabulous to have you here. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I would like to just dive in and hear your story and for you to tell us a little bit about what you do and then we will focus more on that evil word sugar. Wonderful. Okay, so um, like probably many of your listeners, I um, was a yo-yo dieter. I reckon I'd lost the same 20 kilos maybe 46 times. I was a life member of Weight Watchers. I had done every diet starting from the age of 16. I was very, very good at losing weight, but not very good at keeping it off. And I would just, I think, lurch from one side to the other of either being perfect or on a bender. Anyway, one particular time I was on my bender, uh, for months, months and months of just eating chocolate every day as much as I could sort of get away with without people seeing. So really sort of, I mean, really that addictive behaviour of having chocolate hidden around the house. If there was a chocolate bar in the cupboard and I ate it, I would replace it so that nobody saw. I was eating it in secret in the car and I felt like I needed it for everything. So if work was busy, 
it would be so much better if I had some chocolate with me. Or if I'd had a bad day, then suddenly I'd find myself at the petrol station buying, you know, chocolate. And there was usually chocolate on special. So even if I didn't particularly like that brand, I'd buy it because it was cheap. And then I just, like a lot of times, went, you know what, enough's enough. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going back and I'm going to stop. So I went into some what I thought was healthy eating. And and by most stretches probably is healthy eating. I was eating untoasted muesli and, um, you know, with some fruit on it and some low-fat yogurt. But I was finding that I was having to eat buckets of it and I was hungry and I wasn't losing any weight. And I thought, oh, this is a tiny bit rubbish. And as a doctor, a tiny bit embarrassing that here I am, overweight, starving and not able to to lose any weight. So I did some blood tests on myself and discovered that I had uh, insulin resistance, fatty liver and prediabetes. And, you know, the mortification that set in, I just thought, oh, and look, I should have known. I mean, I have a family history of type 2 diabetes, but I just never thought it would happen to me. So I changed my eating. I did go, I moved into a low-carb whole food eating program that I just sort of muddled my way through. And lo and behold, it was amazing. Uh, It worked. And what happened, I think for the first time in my life, I stopped being hungry. And so I was able to gain control of my sugar addiction by not having what I now realized was physiological hunger. So I guess sorting out the physiological hunger helped me then focus on my psychological hunger. Wow, that is an amazing story. So first of all, huge congratulations on making that amazing transformation because I always like to think about people standing at a crossroads and think, well, if you had carried on where you had been without making those changes, where does that path lead? Well, to diabetes and all of those horrible complications well, you've made those changes and where does that path lead? And it leads to an amazing, healthy, you know, wonderful lifestyle. So big, big congratulations. Can I ask how old you were, please, when you did the test? Yep. 48. Goodness. So I bet. 48, yeah. Just scary because, yeah, in my mind, it's a, you know, diabetes is for elder people. I don't, you know, I'm 46. I don't consider myself to be old yet. No, not at all. And I think this was the thing I thought, bloody hell, um, I have, you know, 40 years ahead of me. Um, and, you know, I know that medicine is very good at keeping people alive, but we're not very good at improving the quality of their life. And I just thought, I, I don't want to be a person who's on 15 tablets and having my toes chopped off at the age of 60. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the other side of that story is, I totally hear what you're saying in that medicine is good at keeping people alive. But when we look at the flip side, and all those changes that you make, and the changes that we stand here and advocate, they're actually really easy. They're not this amazing, you have to get up at five in the morning and meditate on one leg and (laughs) eat only kale chips every single day. I mean, you can do those things if you want. 
But it's just about normal life and making changes that actually, once you get used to them, they're fun and enjoyable. Yeah. And, and look, it is totally about your mindset around that. It's what you think about a, a habit or a situation or a problem determines how you feel about it. So I totally agree with you. If you have the right thoughts, then that will create a feeling that enables you to to continue on. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'd love to hear more about sugar cravings. And, you know, you were talking to us a little bit about this addictive behavior, which I find fascinating. Um, So yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. And can you speak to us a bit and about to other people who find themselves in that situation now? Absolutely. So I, I I totally love talking about sugar, um, not not in a in a way that you know I'm advocating, but in a way to empower people to recognise its addictive potentials. We often, you know, the term addiction. Some people don't actually believe sugar is an addiction, but when you look at the term addiction, it's really about engaging in a behavior that you actually don't want to do. So for the majority of people who uh, have a a sugar addiction, they're eating food, sugar, that doesn't bring them any pleasure and, in fact, is associated often with guilt and shame. So, but I think the thing to recognize is that it's a little bit like alcohol in that There are people out there that can have a glass of wine and they might have it once a month and it means it's nothing to them. They have a glass, no big deal. There are other people that probably have maybe a glass or two every night and they would rather not do that but they find it difficult to stop. And then you've got the people that go that next level whose whole life is destroyed by their alcohol addiction. And I think sugar's a little bit the same. There are people out there that can have a bit here and there and it doesn't wake up any cravings or make them want more and more. But for a lot of us, that was I, I was in that next level of category and probably heading into the third. In fact, probably if I'm honest with myself, I was in the third level where people with alcohol addiction will hide their bottles of wine or hide, do secret drinking, hide, hide the um, evidence, if you like. And so what it became was that every thought I had was really about how I was, I didn't even recognize it, but it was really going to be about how I was going to get this sugar. Um, and it would be things like um, book group. You know, I had a bunch of girls and I'd go out for book group and all I could think about, I'd be clapping my hands, yippee, book group means lollies. Movies, oh, great, I can have a packet of Maltesers. Barbecues, awesome, they're going to have cheesecake. It was not about the event or the people. It was all about this was a great reason for me to be able to indulge in sugar in a socially acceptable way, which in some ways therefore meant I didn't have to go and scoff my block of chocolate that was hidden in my undies drawer. So it really was very, um, in some ways, quite disabling now that I think about it. Um, Tricky because it's so readily available it's so cheap, it's so acceptable, and it's encouraged and we are marketed to within an inch of our lives by big processed food companies who tell you it's okay to do it. 
And so it takes, it took, you know, until I was, till I'd burst out of my undies, really. I had no more clothes to wear. I had nothing till I finally recognized that actually this is, this is a problem. And then I go, okay, I'm going to do something about this problem. And then I actually had developed some health consequences because of it. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's sneaky, but it's real. I think it's a really interesting point. And I remember a few years ago being a mother of young children and I read on the internet some lady had given up sugar for a year. And at the time I remember thinking, oh, that's ridiculous. You don't need to give up sugar. Now I fast forward a little bit and I've been really focused on healthy eating and creating healthy foods for my children and myself. And I've changed my mind about sugar. And I think there is absolutely no reason other than pleasure to put sugar in foods and we live in a society where sugar is added to everything and people Mm. can't recognize the taste of things without sugar so you know you can buy a savory pre-prepared food and they'll put sugar in it to make it taste more appealing and the danger of that is we no longer recognize these healthy foods as tasty because we've trained our taste buds so much to just have sugar I was talking yeah I was talking to a client about this yesterday she was a little bit like Paulina you're one of these people who says I love broccoli and other people aren't the same as you (laughs) and my answer to that is you can get to be like that as you say it's about mindset but one test that I think is really interesting is called the strawberry test and as we record this we're coming up for Easter but this happened to me several years ago at Easter time I bought some strawberries because it's strawberry season beautiful delicious strawberries full of flavor had a strawberry and thought wow that is bursting with flavor then had a bite of chocolate because there was chocolate around and I have young kids and then I had another strawberry so my mouth is now full of sugar but I didn't rinse it out. I ate the strawberry. And that strawberry just tastes sour, disgusting, like one of those flavorless fruits that you think, what's the point of that fruit? And the difference was that my mouth was so overpowered with sugar that I couldn't taste those beautiful flavors. And that was just, you know, one five minute example. But that as a society is what we're doing all the time. We're constantly adding sugar so we can't taste the beautiful flavors without sugar. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, food companies are a tiny bit evil in that they employ, you know, engineers to engineer processed food to that bliss point that hijacks our whole brain, our whole taste system, and releases that maximal dopamine response. So the addiction side is all about dopamine. Our brain doesn't say to us, gee, I love dopamine. I wish I could have a dopamine hit. It says, oh, I love that chocolate. I wish I could have that. But every time you have a bit of that chocolate, your brain releases a little bit of dopamine and that makes you feel good. You go, oh, that's lovely. But honestly, it's actually not about the taste because if it was, we would do that thing where you'd have a little, you know, you'd swizzle it around your mouth and then you'd spit it out. But nobody does that. We eat it. And people who are addicted to sugar aren't savouring their chocolate or their whatever it is, their bar of whatever. They're wolfing it down. You wolf it down in a to kind of get this 
thing that you need to do. And you tell yourself you're doing it because you're stressed or you're tired or you're bored or you're lonely. And again, that seems like a reasonable option. We're marketed to that. It's in all our movies. You know, we could all write a rom-com. It's easy. You just, you know, girl meets boy, they fall in love. Boy has some existential crisis and runs off. Girl sits down, she's crying. Her friends all come around in their pyjamas and they sit down and watch a movie with big tubs of ice cream. And then, you know, boy gets his sort of self together and they gallivant off into the sunset. It's, <laughs> you know, it is social engineering at its best, but really the girl's friends would have been better to come and take her off to a beautiful walk in the forest where she can connect with nature and you know, and, and she's allowed to feel sad. Like that's the other thing. When we don't lie, let anybody experience their negative emotions, we just fix it with food. Yeah, so true. So taking you back to that time when you're addicted, how did you get out of that hole? Yeah, so I just, as I said, I got to the point where I'd grown out of all my clothes and at one stage I'd just kind of given up on myself and I thought, oh, it doesn't matter, you know, I'm a middle-aged woman, I'll just buy elastic-waisted pants and no one cares. And I, and then when I grew out of my undies, I just thought, actually, this is ridiculous, I cannot be buying the next size up. It was like a line in the sand. And so I just actually just did hardcore and went, no, nah, I'm not doing it. And I got rid of all the stuff in the house. I said to my family, I'm, I'm having a, you know, I'm going cold turkey. And, and they rolled their eyes because, you know, they were used to me going on a diet. They thought it was going to be another diet. Um, but I just recognised that this substance that I thought ruled my life, that I thought was the nearest and dearest thing that I would, you know, have almost considered selling one of my children for, I just realised it was it was like poison. It was just killing me. And so I had to just make a really, it was a really firm, conscious decision. I didn't just wake up one day and go, I'm not going to do this anymore. It was super conscious. And then what I did was I immersed myself in rever- what I call reverse brainwashing because we have all been brainwashed to believe that sugary products are helpful or you know, nice or delicious or that somehow they bring the family together. And you think about, you know, um, in Australia, the ad is have a break, have a Kit Kat. It just rolls off the tongue. It's like one word. Uh, You know, a Mars a day helps you work, rest and play. We've got all of these little sayings that come with these food that just go into our brain. And so I worked really hard at undoing them. And taking the language, my thought about language is really important. I I don't ever use the word treat around food anymore. It seems extreme, but for me it was really necessary because treat implies something that's going to be good and good for for you and delicious and I have to, sugary food no longer is a treat for me. It's like, it'd be like telling a, you know, an alcoholic, just have a glass of champers for a treat. It's not going to hurt you. One glass won't hurt. My brain already does that. It does that little trick. It'll see a bit of cake and I'll go, just have a little bit. And I, I just have to go. In fact, my favourite line, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. Mm, I love it. I love it. And so mm. how easy or difficult was that journey? Oh, it, it has been hard. It's hard at times. And 
I, you know, I would like to say to you that day I decided was the last time I ever ate sugar. That's actually not true. Um, it's a bit like giving up smoking. I suspect it takes a couple of goes and you need to recommit each time. But what happened was that I have never gone back onto like a six month bender. I've, it's, it's really been like a, a day, a day. And each time it's actually got less and less. I've, I've done a lot of work on guilt and shame. That's, that's not part of my scenario anymore. It's really about accepting that sometimes things happen that aren't at, that are out of my control and that maybe I make, you know, I don't even use the word mistake. It's not even a mistake. It's just something I did something I didn't really want to do. And so I just recommit, talk to myself. I use them always. I use this phrase of a learning opportunity and I have a look and go, right, well, what were the things that led me to have that slip up that I didn't really want to do, eat those biscuits in the cupboard or the tin at work or whatever? And the overwhelming combination of things are tired. And I know that you're always talking about sleep. If I'm tired, if I'm, and interestingly, even using the word stressed, it's not stress. I have the emotion that will make me go and eat is resentment. And mm, I had to peel away a few layers of the onion to get to that, to work out what was it. And it became, because what was happening every Friday afternoon at work, I was having a kind of fight with the biscuit tin. And it was because Fridays I was tired, you know, end of the week. And also I was the only one in my clinic working on a Friday afternoon. And everybody else had gone home and I realised I was sitting there and sometimes I'd have to be sorting out other people's problems or something like that. And it just started getting me cranky. And so... I actually did two things to change that situation. First of all, I made sure that on Fridays I always have my lunch. I always have a good lunch at work. Sometimes I I do quite a bit of intermittent fasting, which I I actually love because it's what I call the easy girl's way of eating. I don't have to think about food. But on Fridays I don't. I always take a lunch now on Fridays and I've actually finished a couple of hours early so that I then leave now at, at a normal time instead of, working till five and then tidying up all the rubbish and getting home at seven and thinking, wow, my weekend's already over and rah, rah, rah. So that, those sorts of things have been really helpful. But the most, the most helpful thing in my whole world has been this analogy that I like to use. So I have an analogy and I call it fluffy. So For most people who are Harry Potter fans, you may remember the three-headed dog that is guarding the Chamber of Secrets and he's this giant, drooling, ugly dog that's sound asleep and he's got three heads. And the thing that keeps Fluffy asleep is music and when the music stops, he wakes up. So the thing that keeps my Fluffy asleep is no sugar. When my sugar, when I have very low sugar in my life, Fluffy's asleep. If something comes in that is a little bit um, somewhere, then one head wakes up and starts sniffing around and that becomes, that's when the chatter starts back in my brain of, oh, a bit more would be good. Gee, you wouldn't, just one biscuit. Everyone else is eating biscuits. This sort of talk that happens. If I then listen to that talk and go and have something, 
the second head wakes up and then the third and then it's really hard. Then I know I'm in for a torrid time to put him back to sleep. So for me, I go, you know what? My life's easy when Fluffy's asleep. So I'm often saying, I can't, you know, in my head, I just I just don't eat cake. I don't eat chocolate. I, I don't say to people, I can't, because that implies some sort of restriction. It's, I don't. And I learned that little phrase from my kids. I've got older girls and they're vegetarian, as I'm sure, you know, half the teenage population world is. But if we go to a barbecue, for example, and someone offers them a sausage, they don't go, I can't eat meat. They just go, I don't eat meat. I thought, right, well, I I don't eat sugar. Not that I can't, I just don't. And so it's much more empowering and much more assertive and I'm in charge. It's not some sort of willful, sad problem that I'm dealing with where I can't. It's I don't. Fabulous. An amazing Mm. story. And what I'm hearing you say is essentially step number one is all about self-awareness. And all of these tools that you have are tools that you have come to realise about yourself. And I love your learning opportunities. I call them golden learning opportunities. Oh, great. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So my last question is, well, firstly, how long have you been not eating sugar? And do you love broccoli as well? (laughs) Well, absolutely. I do love broccoli. And you're totally right about sugar taking over all your taste buds. So I've now been without sugar for three years. I lost 20 kilos, which I don't know what that is in pounds, about 45 pounds, I think. And it's, and it's been off for three years. So I know it's not coming back. It's, it's done. I'm done. It's gone. See you later. Um, but the other day I was having this beautiful Thai green curry and all I could, I could taste the flavors in it, the chili, the lemongrass, the lime juice. And I just thought, thank God I can taste all of this now. In the past, all I could taste was sort of chili, like hot stuff, nothing else. So yeah, certainly I, I totally love broccoli. I, it does have to have a little bit of butter on it for me. But That's okay. Beautiful. Flavor. Flavor is fine. I'm mm. all about easy flavor. You know, we live in the Mediterranean. So for me, it's lemon and garlic. And another tip is I love to use the mm. lemon rind as well in my cooking because I think mm. it gives things like a really fresh salad. So if I'm making a coleslaw, I'll grate in the lemon rind as well, which some people might think of a little bit strange, but try it because it's delicious. But it's all those fresh flavours that you're talking about in the Thai green curry. It doesn't have to be Mm. vegetables by themselves. Another thing I love is, well, because I'm in Spain, olive oil. And I just drizzle it on everything, not literally everything, but it's just so easy. (laughs) Broccoli, bit of olive oil. (laughs) Yeah, and I think, look, the thing for me, I reckon, was that changing my food. So I was always a low fat, complete low fat advocate. And in fact, doing Weight Watchers, you know, I ate some sort of chemical chocolate mousse thing of fresh air. You'd almost inhale it and it'd be gone, but you know, it was only half a point. So that was okay. And now I realize that adding in, you know, fat, that avocado, butter, olive oil, nuts, I'm, I'm not hungry. I am full and I'm, I'm not afraid of fat. I used to you know, cut every skerrick of everything off so that I was basically, if I had toast, it was like, you know, cardboard. Any, if I had a piece of steak, it was like leather. There was zero fat in my diet and it just made me hungry. Yeah. 
Well, and fat is fabulous for making you feel full up and it doesn't affect your insulin levels. So win, win. And, you know, another message is it's about really enjoying your food, but enjoying it Mm. in a mindful way, as opposed to eating it to try and maximize, you know, what we can, but just eating what we need and enjoying what we need. Oh, absolutely. And the thing is that, again, brainwashing about hunger, you know, we we were always, you know, I, can, I see it even now, parents, you know, I was at the park one day and some kid was running around and the mum's going, you know, do you want a sandwich? He goes, no, thanks. And she's going, you sure? You sure you don't want a sandwich? She's going, no, no, I'm good. I think you might be hungry. I think you'd like a sandwich. And I felt like saying, he's not hungry. Kids, <laughs> we force feed them. They they are so much better in yeah. At, at it being in tune with their hunger and their satiety, which I know that you use the word posh way of saying full. Um, <laughs> and then adults, we train them out of it. So yeah, getting the sugar, getting getting sugar out of my life has allowed me to reclaim that superpower, and it's just wonderful because I can go into dinner being that tiny little bit hungry, and my food is so much better. Absolutely, hunger is the best source. <laughs> I like that. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been just a pleasure to talk to you and listen to your really inspiring story. Where can people find more? And tell us a bit about how you help people. So uh, we, I have worked with another doctor called Dr. Mary Barson, and our our business is called Real Life Medicine, and really because we are real and partly. well, not partly, but I'm also very passionate about the idea that it's weight loss for health, not influencer, Instagram model-esque type weight loss. And it, I always feel so like I have to clarify that, you know, by the way, uh, um, and that you don't need to be a size six or four or zero or whatever those terms are to be healthy. So it's really about focusing on health. So yeah, so real life medicine therefore seemed like a really good name for us. So uh, we're on all the the normal socials of Facebook and Instagram and our website is rlmedicine.com. So RL because somebody else had the real life medicine um, name and we would have to pay like 10,000 bucks to get it. We thought, you know what, we're just sticking with RL medicine. (laughs) Fabulous. Thank you so much. You are welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lucy. And remember to come and catch up with the Healthy You Healthy Family Habit Challenge. See you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast episode. Remember, you can sign up for Dr. Orlina's Simple System to Healthy Living for Families at drorlena.com slash simple dash system. If you have enjoyed this podcast, I ask that you share it with somebody else who would also benefit so that I can reach more people and help more people live healthily. And lastly, if you are interested in working with a coach, then just email me at orlina at drorlina.com and we can set up a time to chat. Absolutely no obligation. I love chatting. So come and chat with me. Bye bye.